so obviously, you know, as you can gather from the foregoing discussion, uh, anti-fascism has been in the news a lot recently. Um, Donald Donald Trump seems to think or likes to pretend to think that Antifa is actually an organization whose travel records and communications can be subpoenaed. Um, And of course, lots of people draw the conclusion that because Trump is anti-Antifa, that must mean that he is a a fascist, that is. Um, So let me just cite one example, which I think is fairly revelatory of the current moment and the way that these things are being discussed, um, the analogies with the 1930s that are being made. Um, so the prominent Anglo-American blogger, Andrew Sullivan, who, um, if you're not familiar, um, he's a conservative, he's gay, he's Catholic, and is a former editor of a liberal magazine, The, the New Republic. Um, so he recently blogged, let's be frank about this and call it by its name, he says in reference to current events in the US. This is very Weimar. The center has collapsed. Armed street gangs of far right and far left are at war on the streets. In the same piece, he then declares, The minute the authorities appear to permit such violence, it is destined to grow. And if liberals do not defend order, fascists will. So, although Sullivan might not be totally representative, um, he is pretty mainstream and fairly centrist, I guess. And he also takes a lot of political boxes. Um, So I think it's fairly... Uh, relevant to bring him up as an example. And he makes a direct appeal to to anti-fascism. It's interesting, actually, because before the 2016 election, in the lead up to it, he said that Trump was actually not even coherent enough to deserve the fascist label. Um, But after the election, he's he called Trump an openly proto-fascist cult leader um, and, has re- and has recently referred to him as, uh, or referred to his rhetoric at least, as neo-fascist. Um, so there's definitely a call there to a certain anti-fascist position um, against Trump. And I think we should get this out of the way straight away before I bring in David to discuss a bit more about the history of anti-fascism, um, that Trump is not a fascist. And we've discussed this uh, a number of times on this podcast. More specifically, you can look up episode 129 with Corey Robin on why exactly that's the case. Um, and in fact, most of those wheeled out today as supposed fascist threats around the world aren't really deserving of the label. Uh, you can consider Orban in Hungary or Duterte in the Philippines. Um, and again, we've done episodes on this. Check out episodes 33 and uh, 52, 52 if you want more on that. It's always good to have the numbers on hand. Uh, even Bolsonaro in Brazil, who probably comes closest to being an actual fascist, uh, isn't really. I mean, you couldn't call his government a fascist government. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later as we go on with this. To basically call these figures fascists brings in all sorts of historical confusions and misses out why our context is so radically different from interwar Europe, as David already alluded to at the beginning. And again, we'll go into more depths on this in just a second. Like if we think of all the awful, like if we think of like legendarily bad social democrats of interwar Europe, that what they proposed was, you know, like Noska, never mind like Kautsky. Like what they actually proposed to do was dramatically to the left of, of like the current like German SPD or French socialists yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So all, literally, all they can do to try and mobilize um, uh, the the kind of categories of voters they've been losing in recent yeah. years is this is anti-fascism and is this kind of um, uh, bogeyman 
uh, view of of the rights. So, uh, so and, you know, just and, to jump in, David, because before we get into a little bit more on the contemporary uses of anti-fascism, which is going to be the bulk of what we're going to discuss here, uh, I think we should just uh, cover what you discuss in your article um, in reference to the German experience uh, of anti-fascism and the um, accusation often thrown at the left that the left was complicit with bringing Hitler to power, um, not deliberately, but uh but by omission, I guess, at least. Um, so mm-hmm. if you could just like quickly summarize that for us. So we have that um, kind of under our belts uh, before we move forward. Yeah, sure. So um, the uh, the most uh, famous uh, lessons drawn from uh, the Weimar Germany uh, revolve around the conduct of the German Communist Party and there are some famous uh, sort of slogans uh, associated with it, one of which is the communists calling the social democrats social fascists, saying that they were just paving the way for fascism. Uh, and one is the slogan, uh, or purported KPD slogan, after Hitler, our turn next, uh, which uh, is uh, t- you know, uh, f- a phrase which appears in the works of historians like uh, uh, William uh, L. Shira. Uh, it's drawn from uh, C.L.R. James via Trotsky, uh, and which basically tells us that the communists uh, deliberately helped um, the Nazis come to power because they wanted to destroy Weimar democracy and therefore uh, ease their own path to power. Um, so it's certainly true that the communists' uh, uh, press uh, over-evaluated the immediate prospect of socialist revolution in Germany in the period of the Depression. Although, as I say, that also had a certain role in mobilizing their own militants. Um, there's also connected myths, for example, the claim that um, the um, communists organized a transport strike together with the Nazis in Berlin uh, in 1932, uh, which is not true. The Nazis made up about 5% of the strikers and the communists didn't involve them in any strike leadership bodies. The claim that the communists and Nazis were uh, in alliance was, was basically a smear campaign promoted by, uh, by sort of liberal press and the social democrat leadership. Um, and I think what's important to understand in the, uh, the, the German case is the way in which um, liberals and mainstream right-wing parties um, helped the Nazis to power, first in in regional governments, uh, also in suppressing uh, the communists, uh, and then eventually the uh, the the very forces who uh, were uh, who would supposedly be taken for lesser evils uh, as compared to the Nazis, uh, in fact. Um, Directly allied with them. I mean, I had a, a, a couple of uh, a couple of my best ever performing tweets were recently uh, in response to two articles in the Telegraph, uh, one by uh, Norman Tebbit, one by Douglas Murray, uh, each of which uh, claimed that the uh, Nazis were a party of the far left, uh, that liberals and conservatives had stood up against them. Whereas if we look at the uh, the vote on the Enabling Act of 1933, um, not a single liberal, Catholic centrist or conservative MP uh, voted against Hitler or abstained. They all voted for every single one. 